to speak to you this morning. I'm just going to jump straight in. I was away last week, my wife and I. We went down to a place, um, just a, a small church, similar to our size. <clears throat> and um, there was a couple that came down there, um, John and Carol or not. They led a revival for many years and just started to speak on revival. And, and the first night, he opened up with speaking from Ezekiel 47. And as he started to read and talk about Ezekiel 47, my heart, it was like I was pierced because I looked back and, I mean, he just started to read and I just started to weep because I, I don't know how else to explain it really, but it took me back about 10 years when I used to deal a lot with the young people. And it was a text that God really touched my heart on. And I used to probably once or twice a year go through the text with the young people. It talks about the river of God. And it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And I just used to read it over with the young people and, and see God do amazing things. And so it took me back and I just felt in my heart that I need to bring something of that to you. And uh, I said, all right, Lord. And so this week I came back and I'm busy praying about it on Wednesday. I'm saying, Lord, do you really want me to share Ezekiel 47? You know, because you have to sometimes differentiate when God's speaking to you as a leader versus what's for his people. And so I'm praying it through and I'm just asking the Lord. And uh, in the middle of that, I needed something in my office drawer and I just opened it up. And I don't always share this. This happens a lot, you know, in the house of the Lord. It happens to a lot of people all the time, this type of thing. But I opened it up, and this little black book, not that little black book, <laughs> a tiny little black book that I used to carry around with me uh, for when the Lord would speak to me about strangers or about people or about you or here or my wife. Or, and I would just carry this little book around because the Lord you know, would give me a lot of words of knowledge for people, and I started to just tr kind of track them. And, uh, I mean, that book, I used to carry it everywhere. And I haven't really seen it for, I don't know, four or five years. And, uh, and so it popped out of the drawer, and I was like, oh, my goodness, because even when we moved offices, you know, I was kind of lazy. I didn't actually unpack anything. I just, like, took it. And uh, so it was in there for a long time. And... Um, and I opened this, I said, gee, Lord, this book, I haven't seen this in a long time. And I opened it up to page one, my handwriting, Ezekiel 47. And I was like, okay. And so I want to share it with you today, but I don't necessarily want to do a teaching. Now, that is not normal for me. I, I, love, to, I love to teach, not because I'm necessarily really good at it, or, but I love to get into the Word because as someone who grew up and saw the things of God, I knew they were real, but I didn't, and, I, and I'd seen the power of God, I've seen God move, I've experienced it to me, through me, and so forth. And I found when I came to this culture, and I'm not speaking down to anyone because every culture is different, or even in the West, it's very similar in some places in South Africa, the hesitancy for the things of God, especially in the first world. And so I, I found myself searching the scriptures because I knew if I can show them it's in the Bible, then, then it's like, then, then, then their fight is with the Lord, not with me. And, and that's why I started to read the scriptures the way I did. But before we get to Ezekiel 47, can we go to Psalm 63? It should come up behind me. I'm not, I didn't put much up except for just scriptures. Uh, I've got some notes. I'm probably not going to use them. We're just going to read through certain scriptures. And Psalm 63 says this, it says, O God, you are my God, early I will seek you. This is a psalm of David in the wilderness, actually. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and to see your glory. Now, as we read through some of this, obviously we have to understand, we look with New Testament lenses, sanctuary, temple, all of that is referencing the church, the presence of the Lord, the glory of God. And so, I, 
I want to ask you a question. It is a trick question, just so you know. Um, what, how many of you are longing for God to move amongst us in ways that, and to see things that you've only read about? Can you raise your hand? All right, great. Rem- remember that. How many of you long to see a great harvest of people coming into the kingdom? Great. Now that we have agreement, let us go forward. I have found there's two great challenges or hurdles in specifically in the West, but in in every culture, when it comes to the things of God or the moving of God's spirit, especially with power or with signs and wonders or with manifestations. And those two is... When we talk about the river of God, as you'll see, we're talking about the flow of the Spirit of God. When it comes to the river of God, two great hurdles. What does the river look like in here? Or what can it look like? What could happen when God really starts to move powerfully? Most of you, it'll actually make you very uncomfortable. That's a major hurdle. What can it look like in here? And how do we deal with that? And number two... How does the river get out there? And that's really all I want to talk to you about today. Something very, very simple. So we'll start with Psalm 46. It says here, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though it's Waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So the first three verses, are, I know it's a song and they're singing, but they're basically saying in our world, like, things are tough. Things are difficult. What does it say? Our refuge and strength at a time, a present help in trouble. Do not be afraid. And then they make it cosmic. The mountains are shaking. The sea is roaring. And, and then they have this little word, sila, or sela, depends how you want to say it. And that's not just a pause and reflect. That actually means there was a musical interlude where they would start to, in a sense, wait for the breakthrough of the Lord. And then it changes in Psalm 46, verse 4. And I wonder if you could do me a little favor. I know I'm asking a lot of you today. If you could close your eyes just real quick. This is just sometimes how the scriptures come to me, and I just wanted to share it with you. Imagine in your own, however you want to see it, a bunch of people sitting around a fire at night, campfire. And there's an elderly person there, man or woman, doesn't matter. And they know the Lord very well. They don't speak up a lot. But there's all these young people. And they're sitting and they're basically saying, you know, things are tough. And they're talking about it. And the waters are raging. And look at what's happening in our nation. And look at what's happening. And what do we do? And and, you know, it almost feels cosmic. feels like everything's turned inside out and upside down. And they're just sharing as they sit around a fire. And then this elderly person, in a sense, starts to speak up. Almost like a movie, like a, like an, like a storyteller. But it's true. And he starts to speak to them and say, in a sense, an answer to their problem. He says, listen, there's a river. There's this ancient river. Let me tell you about this river. And you can open your eyes. That's how it comes to me sometimes in Scripture. I see little stories in my head. And that's, in a sense, what happens here. And he says, or the Scriptures say, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. That's the church. And it says, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So I know it's speaking about Jerusalem here, but in the New Testament, the spiritual, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Then it tells you, where does it come from? The presence of the Lord. The holy place, the tabernacle, where God dwells, the presence of God, the glory of God, the power of God. And then what does it say? It says, verse 5, For God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Like, well, okay, well, you can do your thing. But when I speak, that's what matters. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord 
who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still, very famous part, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, that means the God of a swindler. Not the God of like, you know, excellent, amazing people, but like people like us, just God, like, you know, we all have stuff, but you're our God. The God of Jacob, that's us. And he says, he is our refuge. So there is a river which, when it flows, when it moves, makes glad the people of God. So in Ezekiel chapter 47, let's go there now. Ezekiel 47, there's a context to this now. There is so much that as a person who loves the word, I want to get into all the nuts and bolts and the teachings and what it means and the different geographical things. And it's very interesting. But I don't necessarily want to interest you today. I just want to share from the heart about the things of God and the things of the spirit. And I think some adjustments that not just us, but this nation is going to have to make in the church because I do see God starting to be on the move in different ways across the nation. There really is, God is, God is moving and it's in a sense beginning. And I think many people and many churches are going to come to this kind of, ooh, now what? It's happened throughout history. So we're going to look very quickly, Ezekiel 47 says this, then he, now he is an angel, it describes this angel in chapter 40, verse 1, and this angel is basically showing Ezekiel this, this temple, this new temple, and this river, and this new place. Now, we can get into this another time, if you're interested, you can come and find me, but bring your Bible and make sure you have some time. There is no river physically on the earth like he describes here. It doesn't exist, it never has. So some scholars will say this has to do when the Lord comes back, and I, th I think, depends who you read, I've read many commentaries on this over the years. Some people say this is about an actual physical river. When the Lord comes back and sits on the throne of David, there will be a river in Jerusalem. You know that in all the ancient cities of the, of the world, all the ancient cities, the only one that was never built next to a river was Jerusalem. And yet it's the city of God. Because God says, I will be your source. And so there is that happening, and many think that, and that's most likely true. But this river is also talking about the flow of God's Spirit. I had actually, I had something by Matthew Henry. I think I put it after Ezekiel 1, because there's a quote by Matthew Henry. There's two of them. I don't know if I put it back there. Can you see if it's there? Slide person. Yes. Thanks, Josh. Most interpreters agree that these waters signify the waters that are flowing that we're going to read about from the temple. The gospel of Christ, which went forth from Jerusalem and spread itself into countries, into the countries about. And the gifts and the powers of the Holy Ghost, which accompanied it, accompanied it and by virtue of which it spread far and produced strange and blessed effects. In other words, the moving of God's Spirit. Ezekiel had walked around the house again and again, and yet did not until now take notice of these waters. For God, in a sense, shows them to us when, we, when, we, when he wants us to see them. And it's a lot like that in the church. You can be raised in the church all your life. Ezekiel was in this vision, taken around and around this thing. He had never even noticed that actually there's a mighty river. He was all taken up with the church. The vessels and the this and the that. And, and I've experienced that. You get all taken up with the church. And we miss the flow of God's spirit, the things of the church, the people of the church. And what is the church going to do? And how does it look? And what are we supposed to do? And how programs? And, and so God actually says, actually, I must point out a river to you. So can we read? Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out of the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out of the right side. 
Now, first verse, then he brought me back to the door. Who's the door? We just did a whole six weeks on this, so I hope we, we get it. Who's the door? John 10. Jesus. He brought me to the door of the temple. Who's the temple? Don't be shy. Who's the temple? The church. You. Also Jesus, but him and us together. He's the cornerstone, the capstone of a building made with living stones, which you are. We agree? All right. So there's a temple, and it says, so there's a door, there's the temple, that's us, and there was water. That is the movement of God's Spirit, the power of God's Spirit. Throughout Scripture, it references the Spirit and water. So, let's go to verse 3. And when the man went out, that's the angel, when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he had a measuring line, he measured 1,000 cubits, that's about a third of a mile, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankle. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the waters came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my waist. Again he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And yeah, he's talking just to son of an earthly person, to, to uh, Ezekiel. Have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. So, very important for us to, stand, us to understand that when it comes to the things of God, here Ezekiel sees this amazing temple, which will most likely be maybe one day. But this is actually talking practically, spiritually, supernaturally about the flow of God's Spirit. There are even different places in the Bible which we cannot get, take time to get into today. It is talking about that. Even in John chapter 7, Jesus said, which we'll go to next, that there will be rivers of living water flowing from you. And then it says, this he spoke about the Spirit. Throughout Scripture. So there is a river that flows, it flows from under the threshold. So it flows from the temple, from God's people. But where's the first thing it flows? It flows to you. There is a river which makes glad the city of God. The things of the Spirit first flow into the church. And it changes the people. Changes the church. You can call it revival if you want. A move of God. It flows into God's people. Then it flows out from there. So, whenever it comes to the things of God's Spirit and the Holy Spirit, we are often, we say, God, Holy Spirit, come. And then we say, but not like this, not like this, not like this, not like that. So, I say this today, we see here the obvious progression. God calls his people deeper. So first notice, he never leaves the river. He wasn't actually going across, he was walking in the river. Because once you get into the kingdom, in a sense, you don't get out. But the first thing is ankle deep. The Hebrew there is actually the, the, uh, the waters of ankle. <laughs> That's the way it says it. You get into ankle deep water. You're saved, you come and you're like, there's a blessing in that. There's a, you feel the presence of the Lord and it's like, oh, this is nice. And it blesses you. It touches your heart. But you can, in a sense, get out. And it's actually hard to tell that you've been there. So you leave the Sunday and you go back to the world in, the, in your week. And you're like, ankle deep. But I'm not, I'm not really telling people. There's, there is a blessing in that. But the Lord says, go further. Knee deep water. I've experienced it. I grew up at the coast. So... I, you know, went to the beach a lot. And we used to sit there and watch the people from the city and mock them, you know, just to be honest. Because sometimes when the wave runs up and then it runs back, depending on what the current's doing, that back pull of the wave can be enormously powerful. And sometimes when it washes up, 
it can be very powerful. And if you're in just ankle-deep water, you can feel it. You're like, oh, it's nice. You're going to run through the water. And then, you know, we would watch. We would sit there <laughs> and see these, you know, super white, like I am now. Super, we were all nice and brown. Super white. And they would come, and we'd say, oh, he's going down. <laughs> and the water comes, and he's just not ready. Boom. And we laugh and point and so forth. But when you're in knee-deep water, and it's a strong flow, it's not something, it starts to take your attention. It starts to be like, ooh, okay, whoa. It's not, I'm not just, then it says, go to the waist. Now, it, it starts to, in a sense, consume you. And if you're a person that's not accustomed with the moving of God's spirit, this is when we start to be like, I think, I think we need to get out. Because you can feel it's pulling you out to sea. It's pulling you into deep water. And it is. And sometimes it's not easy. When God's spirit really starts to move and you've never experienced or seen some of the things that he's doing and you have no context for it. But then what does he say? Go further into a river that you have to swim. What is the major difference between those depths? There's one significant major difference. The moment your feet leave the ground, you are now traveling at the pace of the river before you're not. You're standing there, you're experiencing it. You've seen God move, you're like, all right, all right. But I'm still, I've still got control. I've still, I'm still, I, I'm maintaining. And the Lord says, go further. There is something interesting that the Lord wants his people to see this. He says, son of man, have you seen this? He points at it. He's like, did you get it? The deeper you go, the less control you have. And for some people, especially with a difficult background, a traumatic background, that can be difficult sometimes in the way they see it until they actually let go and let God take him and let God be God. And, it, and, you know, he doesn't get out the river where he gets in. He gets out in a totally different place because it changes you. The river comes first to the church. And then we decide, what are we going to do with this river? I was meeting with a bunch of leaders many years ago. I was in this group of leaders that was like a, a team. And I was the new kid on the block. A lot younger than most of them, so I'm trying to be respectful, keep my mouth shut. And we're sitting there, and they're talking about the things of the Spirit. And they say, you know, when the, when the Spirit of God moves, you need to put in banks. You need to put in, you know boundaries and banks and I'd, I've, I'd heard that for many years and but something of this text was just alive in my heart and you know you know when you find yourself putting up your hand you're like oh no you know this is just me and I put up my hand and I said excuse me and they, yes Clayton I said and I was very I, I was a good Christian you'd be so proud I was very respectful I said um what you're talking about is a man-made canal A river, when God starts to move, he says it in Isaiah, behold, I do a new thing. In other words, it's not going to be like you think. And he talks about rivers in the desert. And I said, when, when God starts to move from all that I've seen, because I've grown up in it and experienced, and it flows on flat, dry ground first. There's no banks. And if you let it keep flowing... It cuts its own banks, but it decides its own course. You can't determine it. That's a man-made structure. And we all, I've done that. We've all done that to some degree. A river chooses its own path. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, for the wind, he's like the wind. He comes and goes. He blows whichever way he wants. So when the Lord comes to move, it'll probably look different than you think. 
And it's already, God's already really moving with us. We are so blessed with what God's doing here. But there's deeper. And there's more. Let's read a little bit further. It says here, verse 7, When I returned there to the bank, along the bank of the river, there were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows. Now he describes, This water flows toward the eastern region goes down into the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, it's talking about the Dead Sea, which, by the way, is the lowest part of the earth. A lot of people don't maybe know that that is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Huh. So, you know, people say a little flood happens and they're like, oh, it's a judgment of God. Hmm. Not sure. Because when God did that in Sodom and Gomorrah, he took them down to bedrock. Oh, that's not something we've seen. And there's no life there. Nothing can grow in the Dead Sea. We know that. Nothing. It's no fish. There's no, there's, it cannot contain life. Well, look what happens here. It says, when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish. Why? Because these waters... Go there. Very important. For they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. Can we read verse 9 together? Out loud if you can. I know I'm asking a lot of you today, but this is, we're not spectators. We're in the kingdom together. Hallelujah. And it shall be that every th living thing that moves, sorry, wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. I'll just read on. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to Englehim, and they will be places, that's places, churches, along the river of God, places for spreading of nets. They're, they're, will, they're fish, that's people getting saved. We are fishers of? Men, their fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the great sea. In other words, it's a river, but you'll catch fish that you actually only get out there. It's actually impossible. Because with God, all things are possible. And you will do the same things. You will speak to the same person. You'll do the same things in the service, same thing in the church, but dramatically different results. And all sorts of people get saved, healed. Set free, delivered. It says, um, it shall be that fishermen will stand. Their fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes, this is the only single warning, its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Why? A swamp and a marsh receives water, but it doesn't give it out. Freely you have received, freely give. What are the two hurdles? What does it look like when God's river comes here in increasing measure? And how does it get out there? Which we'll get to. Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because the water, their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing or for medicine. So this water, the river of God, when it begins to flow, will flow into, in a sense, we could go into all those things and they're very interesting. You could look them all up and have a great list. But it's God will do anything he wants. Wherever there's death, he brings life. He will flow into the lowest part of your life, the part that nobody knows about. The part where you think that can never be revived. The part that you think that can never be changed. And there he will heal that water. He will flow into your family. Into your business. Into your city. And into places you think there's no ways, there's no chance. Into that person you think never. Into the lowest part, the worst part. The part with a bad history that has been judged. When God's river goes there, all bets are off. It'll do anything. It'll, it'll produce, it says the leaves and the trees will produce fruit every month. In other words, it 
well, you're a tree, you're a person. The Bible says we are oaks of righteousness. You start to bear fruit out of season. It says every month. You're not subject to natural law now because your source is God. And you see the markets and everything go up and down and people go up and down and families, but you just seem steady because you're linked to an eternal source. Jesus cursed a fig tree which didn't bear fruit outside of season. He was saying, you don't recognize, tree, that I'm here. I expect fruit out of season, not in a sense as a condemnation, but I'm your source. The fruit, it wasn't supposed to be figs. Because when you're locked into Christ, everything changes. It's, I mean, it's anything that the Holy Spirit can and wants to do comes from the river. But it's a very important little sentence there. It says, why? Because the water goes there. The water of God comes to God's people, and it makes glad the city, the people of God. It changes you. There's joy in God's house. There's happiness. There's healing. There's life. And then what we want to do often, it's actually the killer of every revival. We go, keep it here. Keep it here. Keep it here. Mm, it's us. And then we have to start to control it because it makes people very uncomfortable sometimes. Let me say this. I have been and seen much of what people think, you know, is a little crazy. Manifestations, falling, laughing, crying, rolling, you name it, I've seen it. I'm going to tell you a few little stories. But the Lord will often take us past our comfort zones. It is not natural for a person to see those things and be like, oh, I'm totally comfortable. It's not natural. I don't feel bad. You know, you get these holy super rocker people. They just travel conferences and they like, it, it, sometimes they get strange. I'll just be honest. But it's not always normal. When the power of God came in South Africa many, many years ago, 100 years ago, through Andrew Murray, his dad, Andrew Murray Sr., had given all his life in prayer for a move of God. When the power of God showed up the one day, the Lord spoke to him and he said, do not stop this. This is what your dad prayed for. Because he was so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. And I used to struggle sometimes that those types of things never happened to me. I really did. I'd seen it as a kid. Even some of the people I prayed for, God would, in a sense, get them, you know, out they go. But never me. And I'd say, Lord, it's like, is there something wrong with me? Or, and I really struggle with it. Let's be real. Who struggled with that? Huh. Mm. You know what the Lord said to me? He said, you don't see that happening to me and my disciples, do you? Man, it set me free. So someone, someone's got to minister. And when I just let that go, then God started to really change things. It doesn't make you right, wrong, bad, or good. Can I tell you a few quick stories? Oh, goodness, look at the time. I'm not sorry. Um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, good job. I'm growing every day. You know, we prayed for a girl. She's here today. I didn't ask her, so I wouldn't give her a name. She came to a youth retreat. God gave me a word of knowledge for her, and a bunch of us prayed for her. She shook. She started to really shake. And, um, and her jaw, strange, her jaw shook the following day for three days. So we sent her home to her parents, and I got her friends to take her home. And I was like, like nope. And, uh, I mean, they, I don't know where they were from or what they believe. And, and, you know, a little while later, I get a phone call, can you come see us? And I'm like, here we go. You know, I've had those phone calls for many years, and we go there, and they start to speak to me and start to weep and ask, what did you do? Can you do it for our other children? She came home and took off all the posters off her wall, stopped listening to that music, changed what she did, changed, changed her. She wasn't even saved. She knew that God is real, and she took a couple months to say, I need to think about it, which I respect. 
Now, why does she have to do all that stuff? I don't know. But I look to the fruit. A friend of mine, big drug addict for many years, hardcore dude. Actually, like, pretty scary. I took him to a meeting. And uh, my dad was ministering, actually. And he was this big guy. When he came into the presence of the Lord, he became afraid. And my dad called him to pray for him. And he's, he's actually a big marshmallow. A lot of those big, tough guys are. And he's literally, he's a big guy. He's a bit bigger than me. He says, can you, uh, can you hold my hand? So I'm walking up the aisle with this guy. He's holding my hand behind his back, for real. And I'm like, all right. I mean, he's squeezing the heck out of my hand. And he gets up there. They pray for him. He hits the deck. He's never been to church. He asked me on the way there, is there a difference between a black and brown Bible? He knows nothing about Scripture, Jesus, God, nothing. He hits the deck. He's physically stuck to the floor for three hours. Cannot move anything but his eyes. And God starts taking him in his mind through all the stuff in his life in tears. Now, why does God have to stick him to the floor? And I had to sit there for three hours. He wouldn't let my anger. Yes, okay. I mean, I cannot tell you the stories. There are literally thousands. Thousands. We prayed for these young men the one time. We didn't even get there. There was a line. We prayed the power of God hit these people. This one kid, his eyes go back in his head, and he goes limp. And I just watch him slowly, and I'm like, oh, boy. I mean, he hits the deck hard. You feel it. You, like, bounce. I'm like, ooh. And then these three guys, these young men, they hit the deck, they go down, and they've never experienced this, they're not interested, they're too cool for school, they don't want this, you know, they're like, mm. they do this weird thing, they go onto their knees, and put their face to the ground, and do this, and they hold their hands like this, three different people in different parts of the auditorium, or the room that we were in, for like over an hour, and they start to wail, <gasps> loud, make Everyone here would be uncomfortable. And I'm like, God, that's you. I'm not going to shut it down. And we were there for hours. All sorts of pandemonium. Literally, I eventually sat down and said, well, I, I don't know what to do here. And, and I went to them afterwards, and each one of them told me they saw the Lord. And they saw his feet in the vision in their head. And they saw the holes. And their hearts were pierced and broken. They said, God, we did this to you. Sorry. And they repented. God touched their hearts. One of them started to preach on the school bus. Another one started to read the scriptures. I I've never seen a young person read the Bible like that. Ever to this day. Books and books of the Bible. He could, every day. Couldn't get enough of it. Now why that? There was another kid. I think he may even be here. He's, this kid is like too, like he's the, you know, everyone, what it, people think of him is a big deal. The, the, you know, everything is, he's just a cool kid, you know. God hits him. Well, not, you know, physically, but the power of God hits him. He starts to roll. They used to call them holy rollers. I'd heard about it, read about it. I'd never seen it. He starts to roll, and not slow, across the room and back. And forth, and back, and forth. And I can tell you, in his natural state, he would not do that. There's girls there. He's 16. He's been trying to impress them for days. And he's hitting the floor and laughing. as I mean laughing. Cracking up. Kicking his legs in the air like a little kid. Big, strong, six-pack, big dude. So... You know, why? I don't know, but he was changed. I don't chase manifestations. I don't. And I've, we've all seen people that do that stuff, and it's attention. You have to trust the leadership to be able to identify that and help the person. I've seen the counterfeit, but I'm here to tell you when God starts to move, we can't cry out for God to move and then say, but move according to what our culture feels comfortable with. Charles Wesley, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, Finney, 
you name a person that you know, they all had this stuff marked their ministry, all of them. Now, there's some people that seek it out. They think the bigger the manifestation, the bigger the change. No, I've seen people just, just like this. But the change in their heart, it's the fruit. It's not about sometimes the body just can't take it. Other times it actually means something for the person. I could tell you stories for hours, literally. It's easier when we have hindsight. Like I talk about this, we can say, oh, that's wonderful. What if that happened here, now? You would feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I had to work it through when I took over this church. Like, Lord, if you do that, I'm like, what am I going to do? And we've had days like that. Today, people came and danced. And for some of you, even that, you're like, whew. You know what? Close your eyes. Honestly, that's I just Jesus. That's just, just you and me. And obviously, we don't want to become a distraction. We don't want to scream so loud behind someone they can't even worship the Lord. If you give into that, go to a place where you don't distract people. But who are you and who am I to describe how that person worships the Lord? Wherever this river goes, it brings life to the deadest of dead, to the, to the worst of the worst, to the most broken, to, the, to where nothing can live. But when the river goes there, everything changes. Everything changes. I would have put this way this past weekend. A cemetery is very ordered. Everything's in nice squares and boxes and shapes and the grass and everything's clean and everything's wiped and, and it's like everything, it's all good. Everything is structured, administration, it's there. It's like, it's great. A delivery room is not. A delivery room is messy, loud, nasty, all sorts going on in there. One of them has life. One of them has death. What do you want? And I'm out of time. I guess this is going to be two weeks. I want to look with you next week, and I'll just say it very quickly. Jesus said in John 7... He said this, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said. You know there's no scripture that says that? Huh. He's talking about what the scriptures base, like, uh, generally teach. There's no actual scripture that says that. He says, As the scripture has said, out of his heart, that word heart, who has a belly in their translation? Anyone? Out of his belly, who's heard that? That's the actual word that's used. You know what the word is there in the Hebrew? It's sometimes belly, but most of the time that word is used in Scripture, it's the word womb. A womb. Where something is birthed inside of you. Because the river of God comes to God's people first and changes you, touches you. And he says, and out of that place, out of your belly, out of your, where the spirit resides, will flow rivers of living water. Now he's speaking to Hebrew people that understand living water is not a pond, it's not a lake. It has to be from a spring that had, it had to be flowing and then had to be from a natural spring. That's what a Jewish, otherwise it's not considered living water. So there's living water, it has to come in a sense from God. So he uses this example, but then the Bible actually tells us, this is actually, he's not speaking about water. It says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Strange verse. What's like they can't be together? Like they're competing? No. He's talking about the movement of God in you and then through you. And he knows 
that unless he defeats sin, death, hell, the grave, and, call, and puts his righteousness on you, that the move of God through you will depend on your righteousness. And if that was the case, no one, God would never use anybody ever because none of us would qualify. We have to settle that here. It's based on what Jesus has done, not on what I have done. And sometimes God moves powerfully with a person and you know their life and you think, but how come? Let me give you a little hint. The Lord knows the fastest way to clean a dirty hose pipe is to let water flow through it. When God starts to use a person, you watch their life change. Flows in, flows out. All this stuff comes out with it. We'll get into that next week. The scriptures there say, if anyone, if anyone thirsts, we must get away from the special few. The if anyone thirsts, I will give them my spirit. Not just for them, he will flow from them like a river. What happens with that river? Well, we read it, Ezekiel 47. Wherever the river goes, will live. Why? Because the water goes there. Why? Because the water comes from under the threshold, from the temple. But actually, you can't even see where it comes from. It comes from the Lord. There is a river of God. It's an invisible river called the moving of God's Spirit. Some of us are ankle deep, and we can stay there. That's fine. God loves you there the same as he loves. It's got nothing to do with how he loves you. He loves you there. He loves you before you ever knew that there was a God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. But I believe God is calling us a little deeper. A little deeper. And I'm asking us as a church. I tricked you in the beginning. We said, Lord, we want to see you move. I ask you again. Because, you know, it's just practical. People are like, I want to bring my friend to church, but I'm not really too sure what's going to happen. <laughs> hmm. You know, I used to struggle with that with youth. Honestly, I'm just being real. God would move sometimes with those kids. You wouldn't believe it if I told you some stuff. And the kids would say, I want to bring my friend. I don't know what's going to happen. And I learned, bring them. God will touch them. One Sunday, other one Friday, we sat there. The youth hasn't started. People walked in the door and fell over. No one spoke. No one did anything. The power of God hit them. And the next one fell on the next one. We literally laid them out. No speaking, no nothing. Why? I don't know. I'm asking you to ask the Lord to help us as a church, not me, not just the one, yes, the one, but the many. Say, God, we of course don't want false, but we also don't want to shut down the real because we think it may be false. We don't. And sometimes it's not about manifestations. Honestly, don't. I don't care about that. But sometimes that's the way God does it. Okay. Look at the fruit. Some of you are uncomfortable now, even as I'm talking about it. That's okay. That's okay. But God's calling us deeper. God's calling us deeper. And he'll meet you where you're at. But he'll take you in, and he'll take you in, and he'll take you in. It's tragic to me, some of the seminary schools that are around this country, the people that they named after moved in power, and they now teach cessationism. I, it's, it, it hurts me. <laughs> now it's like, now what, Lord? All right, can we stand?
Can we just pray together and then I'll let you all go. I trust you heard my heart today. And we're going to go through this again next week. Please remember that it's not based on your righteousness. God is asking us, can you trust me to move here? Can we trust him? Father, we thank you. Lord, we pray as a church together, not just me. And if you agree with me, even though you don't know what I'm going to say, but you kind of do, could you raise your hands like this? Father, we ask you as a church to help us go deeper with you by your spirit and that the river of the Lord would continue to flow here. Give us wisdom, but take us deeper. I pray for those parts in these people's lives, Lord, that need that fresh water. Those marriages, those companies, those parts of our heart that it feels like the Dead Sea. Nothing is left there. Hopes and dreams long forgotten. Just ask him, Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray, send your water there. For those hopes, those dreams, those desires, those longings to our families, to our companies. Let the companies that are represented here bear fruit every month unaffected because they are linked to you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.